Hello and welcome back to Making It. My name is Mirabelle, and today on the podcast we have Cody Warner. Cody is a filmmaker YouTuber who started out doing daily vlogs, and now he creates a lot of motivational videos, but it's probably not the type that you're thinking of where it's like super upbeat, fast music, and they're like, yeah, get up early, work out 24-7, and you'll become successful. Like, that's not exactly it. Although he does do cold plunges, and we do talk about that a little. So, he is such a naturally energetic person with, uh, it's clear to see that he has a strong persistence and strong passion for creating all things creativity. So it was a really fun chat. In his videos, he often gives tips for freelancer creators, sometimes with a focus on ADHD, which we also talk about. It was interesting to hear more about how he's learned to work with his ADHD and shedding light on some common misconceptions. He also does some tech reviews and tutorials. So whenever I need a boost of inspiration to get creating, need some motivation to get productive, I will often watch his videos. And they're not long either. A lot of them are maybe two to five minutes all about tips and tricks and or just vlog style where he's showing you what he's up to and and that gets me excited. So of course we talk about how he turned posting YouTube videos into a career, as well as his philosophy behind the Facebook group that he created called No Small Creator. There's a lot packed into this episode. ADHD, YouTube, pickleball, cold plunges, so much. I'd love to know if you're a creator, what do you make or what do you do? Do you have ADHD? And if you're not a creator, I think, well, okay, I think we all are. I think hashtag no small creator could also be hashtag like everyone's a creator. But I would, anyway, I would love to know your takeaways from this episode. Feel free to leave a comment on the YouTube channel if that's where you're watching or on Instagram. I will be posting daily clips. Rate and review the podcast if you haven't already. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Cody. Welcome Thank you very much. So you are among many of the YouTubers that I've followed um, for camera stuff and, and stuff. But how did you get started? Let's let's kind of start there. Yeah. Um, so my first videos on YouTube were actually back in college. Like I used it as like an archival place to put videos before I understood any of the power of like evergreen YouTube. And it's crazy <laughs> because some of those videos even though they're they're like literally stupid college kid videos have like thousands of views and it it like I should have seen the power of it back then with that but I didn't um in 2018 I started a daily vlog the daily vlog was kind of you know running a small business day day in day out what it what it feels like to run a small business but in the video production space so mm -hmm. that's kind of where like the camera um freelancer sort of thing came from that side of it but it was a daily vlog where i would just talk about you know anything that was on my mind in that day and working out and doing hard stuff but the idea was just to you know encourage other people who are running small businesses to to keep going and um yeah that's that started in 2018 transitioned more to kind of like the camera editing creator focused videos um, at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, when I stopped the daily vlog in 2019. So I only did that for a year. Um, mm -hmm. 
It was absolutely, I loved it. It was absolutely glorious, but it was also incredibly grueling, you know? And uh, yeah. so, you know, it was bittersweet to, to stop it. But um, yeah, transitioned to that kind of more creator space in 2019 and then kept sort of pretty, pretty much along that path, still kind of like veering off course out of that niche, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. pretty often actually, just because like that's kind of my personality. But um, but yeah, pretty <laughs> along those lines. Yeah, it seems like I've noticed like a, a shift into a lot of mental health talk now nowadays on your channel or productivity and stuff. Yeah, it's very fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I it's it's one of those things where it's like, I know that that's not that's not what's best for the channel. But I'm just really into like personally that stuff, you know, so it's one of those yeah. things where it's like, you know, maybe we can just make this work. But I will say I've been thinking about this a lot recently, like just when it comes to like, YouTube advice, I don't get I don't get much requests for like YouTube advice anymore. I don't really make videos about YouTube as much anymore, though I have concepts that like I might make. So you might see that I'm probably gonna have to eat my words. But um <laughs> You know, I really don't think that you can like kill a channel by going way off off topic and then trying to come back. And the reason I say that is like that's definitely not the best way or the fastest or most efficient way to grow a channel, but I have veered way off of that, you know, the course, way off of the path and then made videos that are on the path. And yeah, they might not get traction right away, but eventually they do. And like, and those mm -hmm. evergreen views start to come back to those new videos. So it's like, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, but, um, but yeah, productivity, mental health, kind of like, um, it's interesting because that's sort of like the topic of my daily vlog. It's almost like back to my roots is like, oh, yeah. how do we do this as small business owners? So it's, it makes sense, but it's also not. The perfect thing for the YouTube algo, I don't think. Oh, yeah. But also the algorithm changes so much and trends change too. So like if you're always trying to chase a trend, it's probably going to change by the time you're caught up to it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's complicated. It's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back to daily vlogging. If I remember correctly, that was not like a you weren't natural at it. Were you? Were you or were you just like you picked up a camera, you're comfortable with it? It took some time, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, um, I, w I always say it took me 114 days until I made my first vlog where I was like, yeah, like that <laughs> came across the way that I wanted it to come across. I, I presented myself in a way that feels natural to how I perceive myself. So, you know, when you watch some of my first vlogs, like I'm just dead staring into the camera <laughs> without blinking. For, for mm -hmm. minutes on end, you know, it's very <laughs> uncomfortable for me to watch some of those. Um, and I still do crazy, weird, uncomfortable stuff. And I think that that's part of the beauty of it, of, of YouTube is like you're growing and learning, but also you're just kind of like, like becoming comfortable with your own awkwardness and weirdness and mm -hmm. like accepting some of that stuff. And uh, yeah, no, so I, I wouldn't call myself a natural, but I was... I think I was a natural at liking the punishment of it in, in, a, in a way like, you know, liking kind of the day in and day out like, oh, I don't really like this. Publish anyway. Oh, this isn't quite right. Publish anyway. I think that there's a there's a piece of that that's crucial. What kept you going? Why did you push through and make these vlogs? 
What was the purpose of it? Yeah, I mean, I really got, it started out as like a, a challenge to myself to just be like, you know, this is a hard thing and I want to do it and I think I would be good at it. And, um, you know, can I, almost like a question to myself, like, can I do it? Um, mm. But as it started going, I would say even like, I'd say like once I got past two weeks, 14 days, I was like starting to really become quote unquote addicted to the process and the system of it, you know, mm -hmm. of just like coming up with a creative idea in the morning, trying to capture that idea throughout the day, editing that idea the next morning very early, and then having to do the whole thing over again. It, it really got me into a very, very kind of creative and productive zone that like mm. I really loved, you know? So it started as just a challenge to myself, but I think it sort of, it evolved into um, something that was just like super fulfilling. And I liked the feeling of, of creating and making so much stuff. Yeah. It's interesting because with this podcast, I wanted to talk to other creatives about, you know, whatever we're thinking, what we're going through and all of that. Um, and share our woes and everything or our highs and, and what we've learned. Cause I, I don't have that many friends around me in real life that are doing the same thing. So I really crave that conversation. And so I started the podcast and the first, I want to say the first season, at least the first couple episodes there, I cringe a little bit <laughs> as I listen back to it. Um, but like, you got to start somewhere, right? Right. And eventually you get a little bit more comfortable <laughs> right and i think like that's so true in in across all industries you know of like yeah. um ira glass has this like awesome five minute rant that's called the gap i forget like what podcast or whatever he was on when he talked about it but just this idea that like you know it's actually a good thing that you see something that you made and you know that it's not quite meeting the mark but like you're not quite sure how to make it meet the mark, but you're, you know, going to persist and, and keep going. Like that's just all that is, is just good taste. You know, you have a good enough taste to know what it is that you desire to make. And then you're you, the, the discipline to kind of pursue it. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, uh, I think that's across any industry, any anybody who's pursuing something that's a, a little hard, um, you know, that's how we all start. So, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. You are really somebody who seems to, you kind of seem to t torture yourself a little bit, but uh, for good reasons, I suppose. You've been talking a lot about cold plunges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, how do you just uh, push through and, you know, even though you dread it every time? How do yeah, you... I mean, it's like anything that is worthwhile in life, right? It's like back in the, in the daily vlog days, it was the, the cold plunge substitute was like was working out daily over lunch. I had a membership over at the Y and, um, you know, the refrain that would go on in my head, like I hate cardio. I don't like jogging. Um, I, don't, I just don't like long distance stuff. I like little sprints, right? Mm -hmm. um, little pushes of, of energy and then getting to relax. So whenever I have to jog for like, you know, even two miles, that just feels very torturous to me. Um, but the <laughs> refrain that would go on in my head is this is hard and I'm doing it. Like for me as someone with ADHD, we are very opposed to doing hard things. We are very <laughs> opposed to 
the feeling of discomfort, right? Like, yes, there is seek discomfort. It's this idea mm-hmm. that like, if I could just feel good all the time, wouldn't that be wonderful? But that is actually this, this huge myth because um, A, you wouldn't feel wonderful, you know, because that's not how the chemicals in our brain work. But B, that's just not the reality of life. Life is a roller coaster. There's ups and downs and there's hard stuff to do constantly, especially for kind of driven people. Who, who are trying to build something or create something, there's going to be all these challenges. So for me, cold plunging is a daily commitment to, I just woke up, I'm like groggy. You know, when you get out of bed, you're like, you're warm in bed. So then you feel very cold because your body temperature is super high. Like you, <laughs> the, the last thing you want to do is dunk yourself in, in a, you know, 30 to 40 to 50 even degree water. And so mm-hmm. the daily commitment to be like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it because in my life, I am making the commitment to do hard things, even though they're hard, even though I don't want to do them. It's a really good kind of uh, morning ritual, I guess, for me. Um, that's and that's great. why I've stuck with it. I took, a, I took a cold shower in honor of this conversation today. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. How'd it feel? Terrible? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Well, I only did like the latter half of my shower. Before I got out, I turned the water cold. That's the way to I do it. Do I love it. Thing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does feel good after though. It's yep. just not not quite in the moment, you know? Yep. <laughs> um, So with vlogging, you, you're vlogging about small businesses. That was your own small business that you're vlogging about? Yes. This is like... Yep, that's what it was. So it was a a video production company. I ended up selling it to my business partners at the end of 2018. But video production company were making like commercial uh, videos. And there were some cameos from other small business owners, I'd say like throughout throughout 2018. And I still love stuff like that. Like any, Mm -hmm. any chance I get to meet with other people or small business owners or creators, that sort of stuff. I love kind of highlighting other people doing doing cool stuff. Um, but yeah, my small business and I, I'm still a small business owner. It's just a different small True. business now. <laughs> yeah. You've been doing a lot of like, I, I guess, small business with other people and yourself and YouTube consulting, right? Uh, working with other media companies. Yeah. Yeah. So in, um, beginning of 2022, either, so almost a year ago now, maybe it was May either April or May, I started working with a company that was doing YouTube consulting and I stopped working with them. Uh, so this, that was like an employee. I was an employee of that company. So that was my first technical employment in, um, I think, seven years or something oh, wow. like that. I'm not sure what the math was, but I was a W-2 employee. And uh, yeah, did that, did that for seven or eight months, but I stopped in December of 2022. So I, and I, and I went back to just kind of like full-time freelance creator, creative. Mm-hmm. I don't get me wrong. I love helping people. I loved helping people try to build YouTube channels and, and come up with cool ideas and cool thumbnails and all the stuff that I was doing there. But something I found out about myself throughout that experience was I must be making videos like, or things like, but videos are, are kind of what I go to, right? So I must yeah. be making videos. And I just wasn't, I didn't have the time or effort or energy left after helping other people do it to be able to do it myself. And just like schedule wise, it wasn't working. So um, 
yeah, I, I found that out about myself. And that's like a, you know, very grateful to have. It's interesting because I knew that, but I thought, I sort of thought maybe this will be okay. Like, cause I'm helping other mm -hmm. people do it. But uh, I really almost require um, <laughs> the creative, expressive outlet of, of making videos that are, that are my own. Yeah. Well, I suppose you, you'd never have known that if you didn't try, if you didn't actually go work for them, right? Right. Or right. work with them. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You have a lot of videos about freelancer things, <laughs> like stuff that freelancers should focus on or, or things that people should pay attention to as an independent business owner and such. When you're working with this company, were you learning, coming up with more ideas, more things like that to put into your own videos? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I stayed a freelancer throughout that experience, though I was doing much less freelance work. But I, you know, I kept a couple of uh, sponsorships for my own YouTube channel. And then, um, you know, ma making videos that was totally fine. Um, it's just I didn't have time to do it. But yeah, I mean, I think also, so in that whole time, all the freelancer content really came from um, just like, thinking about what it takes to be financially sound as a freelancer right. and then trying to make sure that video freelancers who are who are doing who are who are on that path like are thinking about that stuff cuz i i just you know like as a freelancer you can just get so wrapped up in the short term in like the now money of like I just need to make right. money right now to pay the bills, um, which you do. I, you totally do. It, it's so easy to get kind of blindsided month after month by that and never really take the time to focus on the bigger picture and kind of um, what it looks like to become financially independent and like time independent. And I just I care so much about that stuff for myself that it just makes me very passionate about sharing that stuff with other people. So yeah, I'd say that that's probably the biggest focus of my channel right now. And I hope to at least keep that a part of the focus of the channel because, because I just think it's so crucial. It is super helpful, all the stuff that you talk about. Because it's not like you can go to school and learn how to be a freelancer, right. you know? Yeah. And this this kind of creative field that we're in is also not something that's traditionally taught. It's not such a, it's not a very linear path that people can take mm -hmm. or that people know about. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it's very helpful. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when, when I was in high school and people were saying like, Hey, what are you thinking about doing? Like there was no such thing as a, as a full-time YouTuber, as a creator, yeah. like <laughs> that, that didn't, that didn't exist, you know? Um, so in a lot of ways, we are really kind of forging the path. Um, mm. and it's, and it's new and different almost like, you know, month in and month out, you know, uh, uh, yeah. what the path's going to look like. So, um, yeah, just trying to like help as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And you have, uh, is it just a Facebook group? Um, no small creator. Mm hmm. Yeah, there's yeah. a Discord as well, but the Discord is is pretty dormant. But yeah, Facebook group um, of people who are building, mostly people who are building YouTube channels or at least dabbling in YouTube channels. Yeah, what is uh, what's the philosophy or like the 
the whole meaning behind no small creator. Yeah. No small creator is just the mindset that, you know, if you have an idea and you take it from inside of your head and put it out into the world, that process for anyone who's ever gone through that process, it is a massive process full of like, you know, numerous different facets and challenges and obstacles and the whole self-defeating thing and imposter syndrome and all of the stuff that goes into it. So, um, you know, on, on YouTube, there's like, everyone likes to categorize everything everywhere in the whole world. (laughs) People love categories. So there's like big creators and then there's small creators. And that's just sort of like a way that people talk. So the, the movement or the mindset is, uh, you know, you can call somebody a small creator, but you gotta, you gotta know there's no such thing as a small creator. So that's where the no small creator kind of, uh, rallying cry came from that a lot of people really resonated with it and i was glad i'm glad that they did yeah i love that it's uh interesting that when you are a creator you're making something that hasn't existed before that's a, such a wild concept <laughs> it's beautiful i mean it gives right. me like you gave me goosebumps when you just said that even though i think <laughs> about this stuff all the time but like yeah yes it is it is insanely it's like you know, it's like this, it's the, it's the creation of something that didn't <laughs> exist and wouldn't exist without the effort that you put in to make it exist. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's huge. Huge creator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with how we're saying YouTube didn't exist 10 years ago and such, um, Fong had a question that was how different is communication today compared to communication 10 years ago? Mm. Would you like to change anything? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because mass communication kind of like through YouTube or through podcasting or even through Instagram, like um, video, audio, whatever, digital, digital communication is in a lot of ways just amplified interpersonal communication, you know? True. But it's also completely different and it also feels completely different to the communicator. and. There's almost like a different, almost like a different understanding of of like how to communicate with a a, a mass audience, right? Or or multiple people, one to many, as they as they mm. say. Um, but it's so funny because so much of at least on YouTube, so much of it, it, the key is to to still talk to the camera and still communicate in your videos as though you are communicating to just that one person. Because, you know, even though it's mass communication, it's not like there's these auditoriums of people gathering to watch my videos. <laughs> there, there's one person on their phone watching one of my videos. So it, as much as I can make kind of a one-to-one commu- communication happen, you know, if that's possible, which I think some creators mm-hmm. are better at doing it than others, you know, that's really what the target is. But yeah, I mean, mm. I think they're, they're in many ways, they're very similar. And I try to try to like ground myself there and not overcomplicate it often, actually, because it, it can start to feel very weird. Like even when you get 100 views or 100 downloads on something, like mm-hmm. that's 100 people. You know, when I used to give presentations in class, I would be like sweating and terrified in front of 18 people 
You know, so yeah. it's like, oh, a hundred people are listening to this. That's crazy. And then some of the videos pop off and get 50,000 views and you're like, wait, 50,000 people, you know, so yeah. it can get, it can get really terrifying. Um, so it's really <laughs> good to kind of ground myself anyway in the, yeah, but really it's just me talking to this one person who's watching this on the phone and how can I positively affect that just one person and not kind of worry about all of the, all of the other differences there are. Because it's so hard to imagine 5,000, however many thousands of people watching yeah. your videos, do you, I mean, do you try to, to envision that? Because I've looked up pictures of a stadium of, what, like 4,000 people because I had some front page opportunities on Twitch. So my live stream was, I had 4,000 concurrent viewers at one time, which is super cool. Yeah. But also, as you were saying, it's super weird because you don't, you don't see them. You don't see their faces. You see the couple of people who are actively chatting, but also right. that's still just usernames, right? right? So like I I did go search up a picture of what 4,000 people might look like um, just to give myself a little bit more of, it, conceptualize it a little bit more. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done that too. I've looked at those pictures or like, um, you know, I tried to look up like what 100,000 people would look like in a stadium one time. Yeah. And even that, like it starts to get, you know, the, the dots are so little now that it's like you're kind of losing the scope of, of what it is. But um, yeah, I've looked up that stuff and, and I really like, uh, I've seen Tony Robbins has, or no, you know who else does it is Chris Doe um, hmm. has like all of these whenever they do lives, like they have all of these video squares that showed at least some of the members of the audience, the viewers, but even that, that it's like, it's like less than 50 boxes, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. But it, it looks like this massive amount of people, but yeah, that's a, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting thing. I think for live, it, mm -hmm. it makes a little bit more sense to, to try to, to try to envision what that's, what that's like. But I do, I do think there's still this, there's still this kind of if you can talk one to one, you're going to yeah. you might have a chance to really resonate with that one person who's viewing it. I, yeah, I really like that. I think that when you are focused on trying to aim, get your message across to at least one person, impact one person, um, it does send ripples out. It does affect more and more people, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally more agree. genuine. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, that's very much appreciated. <laughs> With uh, you mentioned your ADHD, and DJ had a question about that. He said, "When did you find out about your ADHD, and how did your family and friends react regarding that? Was it positive, helpful, neutral, and different, or uh, unhelpful, or rejection?" Yeah, um, it's a little bit of all of that stuff. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, when I found out about it, so. I had a, 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 you know, a creeping suspicion that I had ADHD, like since, I would say since I was in maybe 10th or 11th grade, just because I saw that like I handled schoolwork much differently than all of my friends. Um, I didn't, 
you know, there was stuff that I was really good at and could just do naturally because I was just naturally attracted to it. And there was other stuff mm -hmm. that like, I just couldn't do like homework. I couldn't, I just couldn't get myself to do homework. And, mm -hmm. um, so I had this suspicion, but it wasn't negatively affecting my life at that time. Like I was getting passing grades and, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, like thriving in, in high school and then also all through college, it never, it never kind of the more negative components of ADHD didn't, didn't really pop up. Um, but it was when I got my first job and then shortly thereafter started my own, uh, started my business where like I had to do the mundane, boring, aspects of business building or 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 doing a job i i had to do them there was no one there was nobody else who could do those things i didn't have enough money to hire anybody um and so i really started to get into like a spiral of um being really late on stuff and then not being able to do it and then being even later on that stuff and then like getting down on myself for not doing it and like a, a, just one of those spirals so that's when i sought diagnosis where I was like, okay, I've known that this has been a part of me. It never really negatively affected me until now. This is when I was like, I think 26, maybe 26, 20, 20, yeah, 26, 26, 27 um, years old. So this is 10 years ago now. So I went to a doctor. I was like, uh, you know, I think I might have ADHD. Can you test me for it? They're like, you definitely have ADHD. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I thought maybe that was the case. Um, and they also actually diagnosed me with, with uh, minor depression at, at that mm. time. And um, so I tried some drugs, tried, they didn't work great, tried some other drugs, they didn't work great. The doctor really wanted to try me on this other drug, but I didn't have insurance. So I, it would have been like $470 a month or something to do mm. this one drugs that he wanted me to try. I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. He's like, it's but it's a really good drug, you know? So I've actually still never tried that drug, but got, ended up getting off the drugs after, I think it was like four months, just like decided the drugs aren't really great for me. But, you know, throughout that whole time, started sharing with my friends and family. And, um, you know, most of them, I would say 99% of them were supportive and like, oh, wow, I didn't, I wouldn't have really thought of, of that but it makes sense you know it's cool that you're kind of seeking you know answers and and the way to the, the way to make it work best for you kind of but yeah there were some who just sort of were like well that doesn't I don't really think that that's a thing you know almost like I don't think that that's a thing like, I think that right you know almost telling me like that sounds more like an excuse um or are you sure you know, in a respectful way, but like questioning whether or not ADHD was something that uh, I had or was affecting me. And so that was that was hurtful. But at, at that time, you know, that was really something we all have to do as adults is like decide who are we going to let affect our internal state of mind and peace of mind state of being. Right. right? Um, if we let every single person in our periphery, especially when you go digital, when you go mass communication, you start, you know, getting thousands and thousands of views. If we let all of them and those <laughs> negative comments and whatever affect us, like that is no way to live life. So basically at that time, I, you know, my circle just started getting smaller and smaller of who I was going to actually let their opinion 
affect who I who I was and how I thought about myself and and how I operate, right? So I'd say even that I'm a I'm an eternal optimist. So like that was the silver lining there. Even though that didn't feel great, the silver lining was it helped me to start reining in um, who I was going to allow to affect me, and uh, and that ended up being super beneficial for starting YouTube and getting people who are crazy, you know, who are talking, yeah. who are saying mean stuff on the internet. So, <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of how it, how my family took it. But yeah, it was 10 years ago now that I got diagnosed with ADHD. Mm, wow. Um, he had, DJ had another question about that. It was what helped you the most at the beginning of learning to live with ADHD? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say at the beginning and then still now, and it's been a, this has been like a, you know, a, a learning growing process. ADHD Twitter mm -hmm. has actually been extremely helpful. I didn't find <laughs> that until maybe two years ago, but extremely helpful just because like to know that you're not alone and to be a part of a community who has like so many of the same thoughts that you do. It's so crazy when someone from ADHD Twitter tweets out some random thing. I'm like, I've thought that literal exact thing. <laughs> for my whole life or you know whatever but mm -hmm. um yeah the biggest thing is the understanding that and this this isn't actually um i'll say it this way like adhd is, is a spec is a spectrum disorder like similar to autism um or some of the other spectrum disorders where like it just isn't the same for every mm -hmm. person right so but the way that AD, i experience adhd um, I, the, the thing that was most helpful for me was realizing in some ways it is a, a disorder. Yes. But in other ways, it's not so much me or the way my brain works that is disordered. It's actually the culture that I live in and the things that the culture that I live in value, you know, the, this mm -hmm. culture values things that I do not value. And if I lived in a different culture, a, a hypothetical culture that was built by people with ADHD, I right. would be completely normal. It wouldn't be weird <laughs> for me to be late all the time or to like not really have an understanding of time and how much time it's going to take to oh, get yeah. to, to do one thing or, um, you know, so that's just that's the easiest one to talk about is just the lateness. But um yeah, I remember so, seeing um, a video or with Colin and Samir where you guys were, <laughs> you, ha you had to go and you just did not leave and you were late for your next event. Yeah. It was a, a whole, whole right. thing. And it, it, it turns into this like domino effect of then how much, how negatively that affects you. And then you end up just not sleeping because you have to edit a daily vlog that mm. day. So it's like, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just realizing that, yes, there are aspects of me that I, you know, wish I had better control over or wish they make my life harder, right? But realizing that there's also an external component where like, just because I don't fit into the way the world works doesn't mean that I'm messed up. It means that I'm different. And if I can kind of create an environment um, and get around people who are willing to co-create that environment with me, neurotypical or neurodiverse or whatever, my life can be a lot easier and I can actually thrive. I can actually do stuff that is extremely helpful and, and beneficial and, and like 
you know, moves the moves the ball, right? So seeking out those opportunities and those communities of people who really like value what I have to Mm. bring to the table. I think that's super crucial for me. But yeah, I mean, on a very, very, very different level scale, being left-handed is a is a bit of an issue sometimes. Yeah. Um because the world is built for right-handed people. That's right. the majority, right? So it you know, scissors always in elementary school, everybody sharing scissors and everything. You got to run to go find the left-handed ones right. before anybody else takes it. <laughs> right. That's a great yeah. um kind of like metaphor <laughs> for it, you know. Yeah. Just little things that come naturally like using scissors you know, it doesn't come, doesn't come naturally to everybody. I think that that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some common misconceptions about ADHD that some people have? Um, there's actually this really good uh, Twitter thread the other day that, that was basically this question. And I resonate with so <laughs> many of them. Like, I was just retweeting, like, all of them. I'm like, oh, no, everyone's going to hate me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... I think one of the biggest things is like, you know, culturally, if I, if, if you're friends with somebody, you're gonna remember to talk to them, right? You're gonna remember to reach out to them, whether you see them or not. But something that happens with ADHD often is, is called object impermanence, where if you don't see it, then you sort of forget it exists but the interesting thing about us is like it's not that we forget it exists it's just we forget to tend to it's most it's easiest to tend to the most urgent things that are right in front of us right so we tend to those things and then just randomly all of a sudden on like some random wednesday afternoon we'll be like oh my goodness i haven't talked to this person that i love in nine months like it just like <laughs> randomly hits us and the, this the feeling of like guilt and um and like shame of like what are they going to think and they probably think I'm mad at them when really like none of that is true it just simply mm-hmm. our brains don't work in a way where like we remember stuff like that that it, that isn't right that isn't right in front of us um that's one mm-hmm. of them Another misconception I think is um, because there are so many sort of relatable aspects of ADHD, like ADHD is, is very relatable, I think, to everybody who just lives in the world in 2023. It's like, yeah, there's just, it's hard to um, want to do boring things, but like, isn't that something that everybody deals with? And um I heard it said really good the other day. It might have been uh, ADHD Jesse on on Twitter. He was like, uh, the difference is you have a hard time doing stuff that you don't want to do. I have a hard time doing stuff that I want to do. You know, it's like I want to be on time. I want to do the dishes. I want to remember to pick up my kids from the bus stop. Like nobody, nobody would ever be like, yeah, I, w- I want to forget to pick up my kids from the bus stop. But if I'm responsible for picking up my kids, I'm setting uh, an alarm and then I'm going to set multiple reminders for that alarm. And then uh, 
you know, maybe I'll also tell Alexa to remind me, you know, seven minutes before. And like, then even the seven minute before, I'm going to set another one that's two minutes before I have to leave because I will, will forget to do it, you know, which is, which is insane. So, um, with the uh, object impermanence, do you ever, when you, your kids go to school for the whole day and they're just gone, do you ever just like forget that they exist for a bit? <laughs> um, I mean, no, they're, my kids are, are, are kind of different in that, you know, since I'm responsible for yeah. their well-being, they're sort of always in the back of my head. But I'd, I mean, yes, in, in a similar way to when you get in the zone and you're doing something, you know, just anybody can experience kind of flow state and time sort of starts to disappear. But it's that kind of times some amount more a hyper-focused state where it's like, you can, I can look up and, oh my goodness, it's dark out, you know, and like forgot to, I mean, another big one is like remembering to go to the bathroom. You, I can just get so in the zone on something that mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to go to the bathroom, you know, or, yeah. or drink water or eat. Um, yeah. These are all things that I want to do. But, uh, but yeah, it, it can be easy to forget to do them because they're not front and center. Mm, yeah. I have a friend um, who talked a little bit about his ADHD with me and because I, you know, it's a new, it's a fairly new thing yeah. that, that people I think people are having more conversations around now um but so he was telling me about hyperfocus and everything as well and my immediate thought was that kind of seems like a a nice superpower though mm-hmm. if it is if you're hyperfocused on something that you want to do that you want to get done and it's happening yep. you can spend so much time doing that one thing and to me, I was like, wow, this sounds, this sounds amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And it really is it's that double-edged sword, right? So like that's how I've experienced hyper-focused in a lot of ways. But there are a lot of ADHD voices who say, you know, don't ever call it a superpower because it, ex- it ruined my life in XYZ way. And, mm. you know, the, the easiest way to think about that is like, yeah, when you're hyper-focused on the right thing, on a productive thing, that's awesome. But right. that doesn't, it doesn't always line up that way. You might get hyper-focused exactly. focused on like a Netflix show. And then now you just watch that. You just binge eight seasons of that instead of working, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is it can create very unrealistic expectations internally. When, I'm, when I have a fantastic hyper-focus um, kind of like high dopamine day where everything is just clicking. I'm running on all cylinders. Like I am, you know, just whatever. I am, I, I can accomplish so much. I can do more than the average person can do and effortlessly, you know, mm-hmm. effortlessly more. But then the next day, <laughs> I'm just like a, you know, I'm just like a, a bump on a log, right? And that can create this insane feeling of kind of like, well, why am I not just better? Like why I should be as good as my best day. And so there's this really hard like internal regulation of 
what to even expect from myself. And that can be really like disheartening, I think. So yeah, there's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy new thing. <laughs> yeah, I find that I often give myself more tasks than I can handle in a, in a day or I just, uh, it just never feels like I'm doing enough. You know, I'm maybe editing a podcast episode all day and then I do a live stream that's, they're like three hours long. And then, you know, there's a lot that I do in a day. I, my friends ask me like, they've got their full-time nine to five jobs. And so, you know, they're complaining about whatever from work. And then uh, they ask what I'm up to. And I tell them about my day, what I was doing. And they're like, wow, that is so much. I'm like, is it though? Yeah. I don't feel like it's enough. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. The question of enough is a great question. I think that we as creators would do very well to continue having conversations about that question because it is creating, you know, like we talked about earlier, creating something from nothing is a massive feat. That's, that's very, so like how much do we require of ourselves? How much must we create in order to have created enough, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I have no idea. <laughs> Sometimes it feels very satisfying when I write a song and then I'm like, okay, yeah, done. I'm I'm great. I'm good. This one thing that I did today is enough. And yeah. I feel just very satisfied in that because I guess it is just uh, after creating something. But I suppose if it's more of the tedious admin work side, then it's more, it feels like uh, I didn't do anything. <laughs> right. And you have to remind yourself like, but it was necessary. I did necessary stuff. Like you yeah. feel like you wasted the whole day because you didn't end up making something. Yeah, I resonate yeah. with that deeply. Yeah, I was just having this conversation with a friend yesterday. This question often comes up where we're like, what are we supposed to do when we're resting? You know, when we have a weekend to take off or something, when do we do that and how do we do that? Because mm -hmm. uh, I enjoy playing video games sometimes and I enjoy reading and whatnot, but I get bored so quickly <laughs> and I feel like I'm constantly wanting, I don't know, I guess to make something, have, being involved with anything creative. I was just reading The Creative Act by Rick Rubin, and that book got me inspired from that one day I was resting. And so I was like, so if I'm not creating, then I guess I have to be talking about creativity or reading about or, creativity, yeah, thinking it. about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, what do you do when you have uh, days for breaks and such? Yeah. I really like, I'm a huge fan of physical activity. I'm a big like, let's go on a hike or go swimming or sailing or um, play pickleball or work out. Like I, I get a lot of recharge from the flow state that comes from like, from that sort of stuff, physical activity and, com and competitive, uh, competitive stuff. Like, you know, even last night we were playing field hockey as a family um like scrimmaging with my kids like that's you know and time just flies and that sort of flow state feeling but yeah i'm also a big sleeper like i can just yeah. <laughs> if i have a day off i'll be like i might sleep for three hours today you know i feel yeah. i'm probably still catching up on lack of sleep in from 2018 oh, um man. but uh sleeping um love to travel like see cool things take pictures of cool things like I know that that's kind of starting to cheat now but um <laughs> you know like because it's photo instead of video it's it feels freeing mm. and relaxing and kind of like a hobby to take pictures um yeah 
But yeah, I think it's very different for everybody. And I think those are great questions to ask and like write lists and, and force yeah. yourself to rest and, and detach um, and do stuff that like gets your brain kind of going in a different direction than your brain constantly has to go for work. Because I do mm-hmm. think like I've seen it myself and other people, so many great creative ideas come from forcing your brain to stop thinking about the stuff that you're yes. creating. So yeah, it's yeah, a great, those are great questions. Yeah, definitely by, ex- you know, getting more, gaining more life experience gives you more to pull from to, to, uh, to create things yep. for sure. Yep. And that's yeah. how our brains work, right? Like create creativity is just, is like remix. So it's, it's connecting like yeah. traveling here, flying in an airplane here, seeing this site meeting this person and like now there's some new thing in our brain so yeah exactly. i totally agree i love that um yeah you do a lot of traveling right i i do did you? more a lot more before covid <laughs> i haven't quite as much um after but you know still probably more than your average american is it correct that you're in pennsylvania yes yep yeah it seems like a pretty small smaller town yeah uh, it, yeah, it's Harris, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania is very is very small town. Like even compared to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, yeah. like definitely compared to New York City, it's it's a town. It's not it is technically a city, but it feels much more like a town. Hmm. Yeah. How do you do? You find that it's easier or difficult to connect with other people to collaborate? Um. Yeah. I. You know, this is something that I feel uh, most creatives feel like. So I'm not. I don't think. I'm unique in this way, but I just, you know, I've dreamt of what if just all my YouTube friends just lived here and we could just yeah. always make stuff together. <laughs> but, you know, I'd say I do travel for the most part. I have a couple of YouTube friends that that live within like an hour of vicinity. Um, yeah, it's an, it's not easy, but also I, you know, I understand that I probably have it a lot better than some people. Yeah, I guess like being able to travel is uh, now that we're easing out of COVID a little bit more and travel restrictions are being lifted. I guess it's easier. I, I kind of really like the idea of having a little home base and then you can travel to meet people and hang out and collaborate. Yeah, I think like I love New York City. I'm a huge New York City fan, but as a one week and then have a place to come home to water and trees and grass and open spaces, you know? Yes, so, exactly. Um, yeah, I think, and even if I didn't, like, even if, even if I didn't like it, I think by, see, at least just seeing the value in doing it this way is, mm. is extremely beneficial, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the pros and cons of having online friends, I suppose, you have a lot of YouTube friends. I have a lot of Twitch friends and they are all over the world. I've gotten really close to some people who are in Australia and they're so far away. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to hang out. But like, it's so expensive. Right. Flights out of Australia, flights to Australia. <laughs> right. It's crazy. It is. It's um, pros and cons. You're totally right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a do you have a posting schedule? For your YouTube videos? No, I don't. You know, I, I would really love to get to the place where I'm doing at least one video a week. But um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think why or why not would you do you want to 
have a posting schedule. I think it, I think algorithmically it's it's better, and I think a part of that is because it's better for your audience too. If you, they just know, like they can expect a new video from you um, every week. But also, my videos are not the type of videos like they're not so highly produced that it like makes sense for me to have to take weeks on end to make them. You know, I still very much create videos in a daily vlog style. So, you know, it's, you know, quality over quantity is something that I agree with. But I also think that everyone has their own style and only only like delivery style. And mine just tends to work better when it when it feels a little bit less produced right so i'm not trying to be something that i'm not so yeah i think i think it's different for everybody i think there's some people who like one video a month or every six weeks or something like makes a lot of sense um but for me i think i think the thing that makes makes the most sense and also makes the most sense for youtube and and the audience it would be more like once or twice a week yeah yeah i agree with uh having a schedule so that people know you know they can expect to see you on their on their feed certain days but i also wouldn't care that much (laughs) right i think your true fans are like no you you do you like whatever you got to do you just do it but um you know we're all we're all trying to grow and we're all trying to doing do the thing that's best for growing whatever respective channel we're growing right so in my mind, the thing that would be best would be a video a week. So that's just the target. Mm-hmm. You almost stopped making videos, right? Right before uh, there was a massive spike in your in your viewership and subscribers. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. So I didn't almost stop, but I do like to think about what, what, what if I would have stopped? You know, okay, and I yeah. think that, like, for me, that's like a very motivating concept. Is you just never know how close you are to breakthrough. And that's something that's so alluring um, and almost <laughs> addicting about YouTube or about anything digital on the internet, like creating an online store, a blog, or anything, is like you really have to follow your gut and, and the, the feeling you have of like, yeah, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm onto something. And it's just going to take a little bit for for people to also recognize it. Um, mm. So yeah, I think uh, no. I when I was daily vlogging, I was not going to stop daily vlogging until I hit at least a year. But I do like oh, yeah. to think about um, it. Would have been so insane to have quit right before that massive spike uh, happened, and that that helps me to keep going now. I think. Mm, yeah, that is creating things are, is so weird <laughs> when as you're saying um how you never you don't know when that breakthrough might happen and following your gut a lot of people talk about that just following their intuition and and it seems to work out for them and trusting the process and and everything will it seems like it'll magically work out <laughs> mm-hmm. which sounds very optimistic but that is so hard to to just let yourself do that mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think you gotta i think you need to get real input from trusted people to like make sure that you're not just like delusional but back to what we were talking about <laughs> earlier you also need to limit the amount of people that you're willing to let affect 
you know, your life and your outcomes and, and your production and what you're doing. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it, the biggest thing it boils down to is trusting myself and knowing that, um, you know, breakthrough could be coming. The other thing is believing in what I'm doing currently enough to that if breakthrough never c- comes or never came, that it still would be valuable, that it still would be worth it mm. to me. Um, and so that was something that I tried to and still continuously try to check myself on. That's also interesting that, uh, you know, we make things to, if we think it's worth it to make, to do, then we do it. Um, Even though we also want to have an impact on others, and you're saying how you really want to have that one-on-one connection with your audience, and so it's intimate, um, to have an effect on another person. But I guess first and foremost, we want to have it affect ourselves too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's that both and sort of thing. But no, that's very well said, in my opinion. Uh, I, I yeah. say like something I joke about a lot is like most of my videos are for me. You know, I made I made them for me. The, the message is actually for me to remember. Um, it, and it just so happens to also affect a bunch of other people positively who must be in some <laughs> sort of similar life situation. Yeah, in a way, I'm like, is this just really selfish? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Am I, is this good, bad, good, selfish has such a negative connotation to it. Right. Is this okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive it is. That it, it is yeah. selfish and it is okay. It's actually more than okay. It's, it's they, very good They the can world. coexist. I think Chris had a question about your background in video and how you got started. Is your educational and work background in, yeah. in video? Yeah, so I I did study film that we had. I really had maybe two film production courses in college. One was uh, shooting on 16 millimeter film film. And the other one was called digital editing, where I learned on, I think, Final Cut Pro 5, um, which is much more like uh, Adobe Premiere back then in terms of like the UI. But so I, I did I did have training in film. You know, my degree is communication with a concentration in film. But I would say, you know, 95% of what I draw on and like kind of utilize is uh, came after college. You know, I had the video production company. We're shooting on completely different tech than we learned on in in college. And then, um, you know, really shooting for a completely different medium than we were even learning about in college. We weren't. Like social media didn't wasn't a market way you couldn't market through social media video, you know, and that was our main target when we started our company. And then when I got onto YouTube, again, that was another jump of like learning what is it like to build a brand on this platform and 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 how do you fit into this community and all that sort of stuff. Like that was all sort of learned on the fly. So yeah, formal training, yes, but the majority of what I actually use is just like anybody we we learned on YouTube. Mm, yeah. Do you think that YouTube will stick around for a while? Or do you think that there might be some sort of shift in the near future where, you know, this is kind of just gone. And if YouTube is gone, that's kind of your job. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think um, of all the social media platforms, 
I think that YouTube has the least social media feel of all of them. Like mm. you could even say like maybe YouTube isn't social media. It's actually, it's some other thing, right? It, it feels a little bit like something else. And I think that's just because of the, the evergreen potential of a YouTube video that it can continue to get served for years and years. Whereas like when you post something on your Instagram story, it literally stops showing after 24 hours. You know, I know that I know that there's reels, but even reels like they they tend to have like a lifetime and then they they don't get many views. TikToks are a little bit different now where some of it is like starting to come back up in search. Like even some of my very old TikToks are getting views now. Um, but yeah, YouTube still has like the lock on on uh, kind of long form video. So I know I personally don't think YouTube is going anywhere. And I think that if anything, it will become more and more integral to kind of search and SEO and, and web results. And like, I think we're kind of at the beginning of what, of how integrated video will become from YouTube on, on the internet and in search. But, um, but yeah, if it, if it were to disappear, which it totally could, um, you know, I hope that my email list would suffice. <laughs> I hope that my other platforms, yeah. you know, people would would come and find me there if they still if they still wanted to see my stuff. And I don't think that, like, even if it's not YouTube, I think there's gonna need to be a place for long term, slightly sl sorry, long form, slightly slower creator made, individual made video. I think that what YouTube is has become sort of integral to how a big part of the world communicates and so even if it's not youtube i think some other platform you know be it tiktok or something else if tiktok gets banned you know uh i think i think there'll be something to fill its place yeah probably i mean youtube has become such a yeah integral is a is a good word i think to use it's, it's also very full circle uh where you gain all these skills from YouTube and now you're posting onto YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just uh, keeps feeding itself like that, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that it's maybe a little bit saturated now with all of these social media platforms and everything that you're trying to, it's, it's a little bit hard to get your voice heard maybe. Um, you know, I think that there's always a place for new voices on any platform because for, for numerous reasons, but just because technology moves so fast because of like the news, you know, because culture is changing, the world's changing. I think there's room for for new voices. And then there's also this whole like there's value in learning something from someone who just learned it a month ago or his who is currently learning it now as opposed to someone who learned it two years ago and is trying to teach you from what they know two years ago again because of how fast it's all moving so yeah. i think there's yes there's it's more saturated than it ever was but i think it's still blue ocean you know i i think it's still i think there's still plenty of room and i the reason i say that is because like i feel like every day I find a new channel with 53,000 subscribers that I've never heard of. That's like in yeah. the camera space. I'm like, True. how is that even possible? I did, I had, <laughs> that I wouldn't have. And they're just, you know, 
I think there, I think there really is just, there's more than enough people who are going to resonate with your voice as over someone else's voice and delivery style. Um, I just don't, I don't think that there's really competition. I think it's more, you make stuff, your people find you, and then you keep growing it from there. Hmm. For as much of a competitive guy as you are, it's a different, not so competitive in this space. (laughs) Right, right. It's 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 more uh, competitive collaboration. You know, it's like I use competition as a way to kind of fuel me in like a fun way. Yeah, seeing them go up is great. (laughs) Um, And I suppose for you with your subscriber count now, you can't really see it going fluctuating that much i would assume i would assume for youtube subscribers it's probably pretty constant maybe the viewership is what's uh what changes most yeah i mean no you still see subscribers go up and down i mean i still see subscribers go up and down on my channel um but i mean it's not it's not massive swings it's like it swings intense you know um mm-hmm. but also my channel isn't growing nearly as fast as it used to so um you know, 10 people is like a lot of people. I'm like, oh, where are these 10 people going, you know? But yeah, views, um, you know, the the way that YouTube ranks your videos, one out of 10, two out of 10, oh, yeah. 10 out of 10, all that stuff. The, yeah, so the numbers are always there tempting you to look at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you keep a positive mindset and not let that bother you? Yeah, um, I think like for me, I just try to, I always try to think of, what is going to help me deliver the best results for myself? Like, what do I want, right? Like, first I think, like, what do I want? Obviously, I want mm-hmm. the numbers going up. I want to make videos that resonate with people that a lot of people see. Um, okay, if that's what I want, what are the things that I can focus on to help me get what I want? And, you know, I have been in numerous situations where I get bad news, I start thinking about that, and then it makes me do a terrible job of like whatever I'm actually trying to do that day. It like it derails me, right? Mm. So for me, focusing on the stats as anything more than just like an, a glance and like, oh, that's interesting, isn't, isn't helpful. You know, trying to not give them any sort of weight over like my emotional state. I just know that that is going to help me do a better job of achieving the results that I want to achieve, you know? So yeah, it's, it's kind of a non-answer because like, how do you not let it affect you? It's like, <laughs> well, I just don't let it affect me. That doesn't really, that doesn't really count. But no, but... You have a good point where you don't let it get emotional. If you have an emotional attachment to it, that's when it affects you. Right. Um, but just peeping at it and and taking note of it is, uh, yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah. I, I try to think of the numbers as tools and as a guide to help direct me in a way to help me get the results that I want to get. So almost like a little litmus test to be like, Oh, this is resonating. Oh, that's not resonating. But like the great thing about YouTube Studio is you can always just go and look at your most viewed videos in the last 28 days. Like which videos mm-hmm. brought in the most views? And you can always just make a new version of one of those videos. You know, like 
There's always something positive to draw out of the numbers. Even if everything looks terrible, you can always find something of that's like, oh, if this video made me lose subscribers, this video made me lose the most amount of subscribers that I ever you know, lost. What would it look like to do the opposite of that video? You know, like there's always stuff to draw out of out of the numbers that can that can be beneficial. So that's the stuff I try to focus on. Hmm. Interesting. Because um, when you said that you can always make, you know, you can you can make more. You can change the way that you do things. It's kind of like uh, I've been thinking about the first couple of. Um, I know I already said like the first couple of podcast episodes, but. For music, my first EP that I put out, I the mix on that is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and I hate it when I listen to it. But that's also that's just indicative of me and my skill level at that time. Right. And and the songs that I wrote at that time, it's not indicative of me, you know, as a person, as a whole. That's that's it changes, right? Yep. I can do so much better now. So I might as well just make more and put more out now with what I have now and it just keeps progressing, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Everything's just yeah. a stepping stone. The 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 time frame, the game is very long. I think that's so I think so much we are just short sighted. Like we we will never arrive like the game is just so long. And I think it's easy to get caught up in like, well this should have been better and I should have been better by it's like, no, none of that matters. Like we got 40 years to make stuff. There's, these are all just little scrimmages in, in the, the actual game. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we got to zoom out and uh, see it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is hard because sometimes we get so focused on, on the tiny little details of everything. Would you say that YouTube is the main social media for you that you are putting all your time and effort into and then everything else might just lead to YouTube, whatever you post on other platforms? Um, I'd say YouTube is my main um, revenue driver and my main, like my biggest focus in terms of I need to make content. This is where I'm putting the content. It's going to be on YouTube, right? But in terms of social media that I feel like I spend the most time on, it's probably Twitter. Um, mm. And that's just like, talking to people, you know, your friends all around the world that you talk to. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the place where I see it makes the most sense to apply effort in terms of creating stuff is on YouTube. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Also, I realize like YouTube comments or how do you engage with your community? Because I feel like it's so much easier doing it through live streaming because yeah. you have that immediate interaction. You can like talk right, right then. Yeah. Yeah. But with YouTube, it's just comments that people leave and that you can respond to. Is that is there more or is that kind of what you do? Yeah, for me, that's pretty much it. And then, you know, a lot of the people who watch my YouTube videos also are on Twitter and, and we can have conversations there and we do, you yeah. know, um, but uh, but yeah responding to comments, liking comments. Um, you know, every once in a while, something cool comes from a comment and you can create a whole new video off of that and reference the comment. But yeah, responding and then taking the conversation over to Twitter. I feel like Twitter is where YouTubers go 
to have conversations with other YouTubers. Yeah, I see that a lot. But also, I've been seeing a lot of just uh, everybody's just hating on Twitter right now. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, Fong had a question that was working slash collaborating with individuals and small brands uh, or big brands. Any preferences and why? Uh, always, you know, always fun to collaborate with brands because you get paid. You know, that's super fun. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think making videos with other people when you can either go to be with them or they come to be with you and you get to feed off of each other's energy. Like, uh, you know, I even, I just did a video with my wife, Amber, and, you know, we just got to spend like two hours recording it together and just, again, laughing, feeding off of each other's energy. It's just so fun. Collabor collaborating mm -hmm. with people um, is so fun. And it, and it does, it really brings out a different side of, me and a, I think a different side of all creators to see them interact with other people. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, that'd be that'd be my choice. Um, actually, speaking about interacting with others, DJ again had a question that was, "How do you frame yourself in levels of introversion and extroversion in per in your personality and energy?" <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting question because I uh, have always considered myself an extrovert until i started youtube and then um i became much more introverted in terms of like just needing time alone to recharge after i spend time in groups or with other people right um yeah i'm i'm a weird i'm definitely a weird mixture of both like a bit of an ambivert but i'm i am definitely very outgoing so like when i'm in a group you will it will feel, I will feel very extroverted to, to people when I'm in a group because I'm, uh, you know, like, um, I love to just rile people, rile people up and, and uh, have fun and just, I love that feeling regardless of, it might be draining all of my energy out of me, but like, it's a, it's a great way to drain energy. You know, it's like, it's a fun energy drain. but. Mm. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think I'm much more introverted than I've ever been, but I I am probably if I had to pick one, I'd probably be an extrovert. Mm, yeah, I think that um, with collaborations and stuff, I guess I would I am super introverted mm -hmm. <laughs> and collaborating. I haven't done too many in person collaborations, but I've been doing some online. And again, with like friends in Australia and yeah. stuff. So it's, uh, I think through that process of collaboration, it, it feels comfortable for me um, because we do things asynchronously and I get to spend time honing my own ideas and then presenting them and ah, such. That's cool. But I, I'm afraid of, <laughs> of uh, in-person collaborations a little bit, especially just, I'm always worried about like, what am I going to, am I, what am I supposed to say and stuff? Yeah. Which is not necessarily how it, it that's supposed to be. Like, you don't, you don't necessarily think about, there's no script, <laughs> right? Right. Um, but yeah, so collaborations are interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I've definitely, I've been a part of collaborations where it's like conversation doesn't come super naturally. So you're like, you know, you can start to feel like, oh, is this going okay? Like, what am I supposed to say? That sort of stuff. But mm -hmm. 
trying to like recenter in those times and be like, I am who I am. I don't need to say anything. This is not my responsibility to make this go well. You know, like we're just people. Everyone's here just trying to have a good time, make something, you know, everyone has different motivations. Like trying to just yeah. remember the bigger picture there um, mm-hmm. is, is super crucial. But I think uh, I think they're still definitely worth it. You know, I think they're worth giving the oh, shot, yeah. even if you're almost especially if you feel like, well, but what if it's awkward? It's like, yeah, that's like where the best stuff comes from. The best, the most True. growth, the craziest connections, all that sort of stuff is when you take action in the face of awkwardness or, or fear. I, I love that stuff. That's like, I live for that stuff. Yeah, yeah. How do you go about your video collaborations with people? How does that work? Out? I mean, every, every which way. I mean, sometimes yeah. people reach out and they're like, hey, I'm going to be in New York City. I'm, are you going to be there? I'm like, yeah, I could come up. Or, um, you know, sometimes it's more formal where it's like, okay, we're going to this place. We're making this video. Or coming to visit somebody. So yeah, really every which way. But I mean, it, it's interesting because everybody has different a different understanding. For instance, when I was daily vlogging, um, you know, for me, I was like, yeah, the camera's going to be, I'm going to have my camera. We're going to be recording. Like that's what's happening. But not everybody records their whole life all the time. So there's like more boundaries, you know? So um, yeah. trying to like get comfortable, get everybody comfortable with, okay, and so like, are we making the videos now or are we still in just the hangout time? And I'm just, I'm one of those people who just likes to be very open about any of that stuff. So I'll just talk about it. I'll be like, okay, so are we, rec- are we making a video now or are we just, do you want to just hang out for like four hours and then we'll make a video later? What are you feeling? Yeah. You know, and, and just breaking the ice like that and trying to ease some of that tension, I think is uh has been helpful with some of them but yeah really every which way i've made collabs i feel like no two collaborations are ever the same oh of course yeah no that's amazing i it's uh it's nice when there's somebody there to break the tension to and to just make things clear like what is going on expectations what is happening yeah (laughs) yeah 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 how do you balance then with vlogging and stuff? How do you go about, you know, deciding whether or not to pull out your camera and record? Because yeah. it is kind of awkward, um, especially is. with a bigger setup. Yeah. And not and just your phone. <laughs> it's gotten even just my phone now. It, it's gotten much more. It's gotten much harder for me to know, like, when it's OK to record versus when it's not. And honestly, now I normally like lean toward the side of like people would rather me not record them if i'm going to record them it's like it's a bit of a disservice to whatever's going on right because like just for whatever reason like the majority of people don't like to see themselves on camera they're afraid they're going to look stupid or sound stupid or whatever and i i get that i understand all of that and i just don't ever want to make somebody feel uncomfortable so it is like a breath of fresh air when you're just around another creator and they've got their camera and they're recording stuff. And, you know, I come up to them. I'm like, just so you know, literally anything that happens for the next 24 hours, you can get it on camera. And they're like, oh, me too. Like, yeah, whatever you want to shoot, you know, because you just there's this freedom of we're in this together. We're making videos. We kind of have this unspoken, unwritten understanding of we're making a video. 
And yeah, that's just super freeing. But yeah, like even, you know, I'm really into pickleball right now. And I just put on my camera the other day to take a video of some people playing a match. And then it wasn't until like four or five hours later that I realized, oh, no, like, I wonder if they I wonder if I made any of them uncomfortable by recording their pickleball match, you know, because for mm. me, it's just second nature. I just want to record everything. I want to record my whole life. I love it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I default to don't record, but I love it when anything goes. Yeah. Or like, do you ever just record sneakily <laughs> and, and then ask people maybe afterwards? I don't. And that might be because I come from the video production background of having the production company and like knowing the legality of, yeah. of sneakily <laughs> recording people. But like I have a lot of quote unquote respect for people who do do that. Um, but yeah, it's not something that I've ever been able to pull off. Yeah, no, I just um, was thinking about this one time I was jamming with a friend and well, we started with uh, he made some arrangements for us and then we were playing it through and I was like hey can I record this because it sounds kind of cool but then as soon as I set my phone up we got so stiff it and it was no longer yeah it yeah. wasn't as natural right yep and then we proceeded to start jamming and jamming is just such a a magical thing as well where it's a it's a collaborative thing too where you're both just improvising yeah. and then you're and you're communicating in the music like you're not actually giving each other vocal visual cues or anything and one person might play something really cool and then the other person might echo it they'll figure it out and echo it and then and then you go somewhere else with it and you kind yeah. of fall into the same similar patterns and stuff and it's really fun um and so so like i just started recording on my phone but he didn't know and that was when it was the most natural yeah and Having that moment captured was great. He was okay with having it captured, of course, yeah. um, and putting it out there. But, but yeah, sometimes if you ask first, um, it makes it, it, yeah, it changes the vibe. Yeah. But of course, with all the rights and legalities and everything, like, of course, it depends on the situation. <laughs> right. What's interesting is, is um, you know, most people would like the results better if they didn't know that they were being recorded because they would come across naturally. Yeah. And and maybe that's not true. You know, maybe some people again don't like the way they come across naturally. And like, okay, is what it is. But um yeah, whenever that sort of like freeze up moment happens when someone sees a camera, that's a that's a bummer. And so it was and is a uh, I think it's an art form to be able to try to overcome that and get someone relaxed and natural again so that you can yeah. capture like a real interaction, like real emotions and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, so to wrap this up, Fong had some questions of what tools do you use on a daily basis to focus slash keep track of your tasks? Mm. Um, so I use Google Calendar and that is equipped with reminders and events. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm very reliant on that. Like if it's not in the calendar, I won't you know, there's there's a 1% chance that I'll remember to do it. Uh, my calendar events have three reminder alarms that, you know, go off on my watch and my phone for 30 minutes, 10 minutes and two minutes um, before each event. Um, 
that's probably the main one. Then I use a a uh, app called Think Divergent, which um, is like a thirty minute timer countdown with somebody where you both name your intentions and then you in the 30 minutes as the timer's counting down you do whatever the thing is that you said you were going to do in the next 30 minutes that's pretty sick um that's one of them that i use and then is there another i think that might be you know i've i've dabbled a little bit in a in a different one that's a, a little bit more formal version of that called cave day which is like mm -hmm. a video chat where you name an intention and then you do that thing, but that takes an hour. Oh. Um, so that's a little bit more uh, intense. But yeah, so alarms, Google Calendar, events and reminders, and Think Divergent are my main productivity digital apps. Nice. I'll check them out. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I realize that I really love productivity videos. Yeah. And it makes me feel productive too. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, which item of gear did you purchase that was not really necessary? Unnecessary piece of gear. Hmm. I have been very honored to like been given a lot of my gear. Mm. <laughs> so I the last time I had to buy something. So what happens is like when I buy something, it's because I really actually need that thing. Mm -hmm. um but actually you can't see it but it's the mantis pod is a very cool kind of like um tripod vlog pod tabletop pod thing and i got it, i was like i'm definitely going to use it but it ended up having like a higher center of gravity than i really feel comfortable with so i ended up going back to my all-time favorite which it's it's just more of like a more traditional tabletop tripod so that and yeah. that was like a hundred bucks. So that was something that I rarely. I am using it right now, but I rarely use that. Um, oh, and probably not. Probably not the best use of my money. I just I just googled it really quickly to see what it looks like. The Manus Pod. <laughs> yeah, it looks cool and it has a lot of cool functionality. But yeah. just in 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 practice, I don't end up using it. All right. Well, one last question because this is called making it. Yeah. What does making it mean to you? Making it. I think making it, you know, a lot of different facets, obviously, but um, in in your day to day, I think making it is deciding that you're not going to have any zero days, deciding that you're going to get something done today. And uh, whether that you created something, whether you got through the slog of all of the boring mundane stuff that you had to do, that is just like business. Um, whether you posted a video, whether you edited a video, like making it day in and day out, making, you know, one thing I think is, is, uh, is such a fantastic way to live. And mm. the cumulative effect of that is, um, you know, is success, right? Is like, if you can commit to that every day, that's success. I think that making it in your personal life and your social life has to do with focusing on relationships that are life-giving where you feel like you can um you know you can be kind of self-sacrificial for people you love and you're surrounding yourself with people who are self-sacrificial who love you and are willing to stand up for you and have conversations with you i think that's what it means to make it there and then making it in in your career making it in kind of um 
the the job the the business world i think for me it looks like time freedom you know having enough money um and enough perspective work and enough kind of interesting outlet things that are making money that i am able to do whatever i want to do whenever i want to do it i think that that i think that when i get to the point where that's on lock like that's on autopilot i'll feel like that's making it you know um mm. but i think the most important of all of those is that day to day no zero days and and making the commitment to make something every day i like how you took it out in uh out of just the job and career perspective as well and you applied it to your personal life that's great yeah good answer thanks important <laughs> very crucial probably more important yeah. than the other ones but uh you know and then then the career one really the career one it just is what it is like those can change that can change all the time you know you can you can always change your career but um the personal life and mm -hmm. the kind of commitment to passion and creativity i think those are those are way more important mm -hmm. all right so where can people find you on the internet mostly twitter that's the main place that i hang out uh that's at cody Warner. And then also on YouTube at R Cody Warner, there's an R in there, but you could just you could oh, just search. I didn't for, realize that. Yeah, there's an <laughs> R because I I've tried to get it. You know, when we got the handle thing, I tried to get it again. But there's another at Cody Warner. He's got a a channel. You know, he's not a small creator. He's there's no such thing as small creator, but he's got a channel <laughs> which is like he uses it like I used it when I started, like an archive. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So YouTube and Twitter. Awesome. I will link everything down below. Thank you so much for this conversation hopping on here. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much.